Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Dope Black Woman podcast. The podcast where we share stories of black excellence as part of our safe digital sisterhood. I'm Leanne Levos. I'm Rashan. You can call me Shan. I'm Libs. On today's podcast, we're speaking with Raifa Rafiq. Hey, ladies. How's it going? Hey. hey. We're back. We back for another week. I know. <laughs> second week back in. I'm really excited. And we have an amazing guest with us today. We have Raifa Rafiq. Hey, Raifa. Hey, ladies. Oh, it's so nice to be here. I'm really excited. Hey. Yeah, it's always nice to get together with women and just like have a nice girly chat. So thanks for joining us. No worries. I'm happy to be here. I was literally um, just in that clubhouse for like half an hour. I was like, oh, wait, I have something to do. <laughs> but can I, I just say, I'm not on do. clubhouse. I'm so out of the loop. Like, is it worth getting? Is it worth jumping on the hype? You know what? There, You can find, like, depending on who you follow. It, um, so basically, it's all about who you really follow. So you need to curate your following so you don't get the bad conversations that happen. Yeah. Mm. There, are, there are bad conversations. Otherwise, you'll be stuck in a room debating about colorism and, and black women and defending yourself for, like, This is what I'm saying. The, the clubhouses I've seen have been the same old shit that gets discussed on Twitter every three weeks. So yeah. I'm just But like, you can find your own that? room and it's, and it's sick, like, I, I was in a room the other day with like Neo and like Pleasure P. Neo, and, like, like Neo, of, Neo, like oh, <laughs> all of them. Yeah, like all the yes, 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 yes. I was in a room with them and they were talking about like relationships. They were having a conversation about relationships, all my R and B sensations, and I was like, when earth did I ever get to hear this conversation? So like an example mm. like that is where it's really interesting. You can kind of geek out at like your fans and stuff. But mm. a lot of the conversations you do see, all that all that I have seen, have been, um, like the hickety haggada of that you see on on Twitter. Mm. Mm. I actually haven't used it. I'm on it, but I never go into any rooms. Like I haven't actually explored it yet. So I'm actually having a talk on Saturday um, with a friend of mine about therapy. Um, oh my oh, gosh, can we join? <laughs> 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 It's, um, we love therapy. We do. I had therapy today. <laughs> my first therapy session of the year. So I was oh, like, geez. you know what? This conversation is important. No, I'm actually crying. <laughs> <laughs> How could you say it's about therapy? And I'm like, yes, can we do it? All, yeah, all we, we talk it. about, every episode, we shout trauma. Like, it will somehow naturally come out. We're so pro-therapy on, the, on yeah. this podcast. So that's yeah, really interesting. We just talked about it in the last episode. It's so funny. Um, so yeah, we so will what, be joining Clubhouse. Yes, we'll be there. What can I ask? Like, um, how long have you been doing therapy? And like, as a Black Muslim woman, how have you found it? Um, so I started doing therapy two thousand and eighteen. So it's been like nearly two two and a bit years. Um, how, how have I found it? In the beginning, it was hard. And this is why people don't talk about therapy. They think that going to therapy is like you just sit there on the couch talking about your feelings. But it is 
brutal, especially when you have to face up to some things in your past, in your childhood, or even just like yourself, like just looking at the mirror and be like, oh, so this is who I am? Mm. I don't like <laughs> I don't like these parts of my personality that is destructive to me and maybe my loved ones. Yeah. So it's in the I think it's literally like the thing that has definitely changed my life. And I'm just a much more well-rounded woman, a much more compassionate woman to myself and my friends and family. Um, but it, oh, it was not easy. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't easy, but it's, it's been so rewarding and I love it. As, as a Muslim woman, what is the, um, the attitude towards therapy? Because I know as a Christian, you, well, I've never had this experience, thankfully, but I know there's a lot of people who, when they talk to their, their relatives about things they're going through or trauma related stuff, they'll be like, go to God. And they never like seek Absolutely. help from a professional. <laughs> Is that the same sort of challenges that you find um, as a as a Muslim woman? So I, the first time I spoke to my mum about therapy, she was so worried because she thought I was crazy. Like she she didn't she was like what's, what's depression like she thinking she's a smart woman like she's a smart woman so she was so confused she was like you're going to therapy because you're depressed like just pray you know do all of these like. maybe her her big one is because you're not married like if you were married you won't have these problems and I'm like yo like listen no (laughs) (laughs) and she really thought like there was like I don't know I was either like I don't know schizophrenic or I had really like issues that she thought required more so like clinical Mm, um, medication and stuff and all that stuff like she thought I was going to you know be sectioned or something and I she took it to an extreme because that's probably the only time she's seen it represented and I'm from Zanzibar and like I think there's probably like one psychotherapist on that whole island to be very honest with you that is crazy it's not a really it's not a thing that people do a lot of the times if you're having some sort of psychosis um you either go to the hospital and they tell you that you know you're just a little under the weather they'll take you to you know um, the mosque and you'll be prayed for by a sheikh or something all goes to hell you'll be you're going to a village and they'll just do their magic there um so it's it's not really a thing that people do um but I've to be honest I actually should talk to my parents and family more about it but I don't because every time I do say oh I'm, I've got therapy <laughs> I just see my mother's eyes like hmm. <laughs> Hmm. So there's no convincing them to like join and participate in the process either. I don't think so. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I've, I've tried. I've told my aunt once. I was like, oh, you know, have you tried therapy? And she's one. I think it's there's not a lot of access to it because getting an East African woman to go to talk to somebody else about her feelings, like I can't imagine the pressure, but also the feeling of like failure because these women are so much used to just like having their ish together and keeping their families going that to have those vulnerable moments I think might just be a bit hard you know we've spoken on the podcast a lot about whether it's worth or how important it is to seek out a black woman as a therapist and I'm wondering did you have a similar experience and I can imagine it must have been even harder seeking out if this was the case a black Muslim female therapist is that is that something you wanted so I, at the beginning, my first two therapists were white women and um, I only just started going, oh child, they get out. <laughs> <laughs> they were white women and I, I definitely had to spend um, a, lot, a lot of time in the beginning explaining. So I had to do a lot of explaining and setting the context and stuff. 
But weirdly enough, right? And I don't know if you guys will agree, but weirdly enough, I had a bit of fear getting or, or thinking of getting a black woman therapist because there's one thing telling strangers that, oh girl, I don't have it together. But there's another thing telling a fellow black woman like, oh sis, I don't have it together. It's wearing um, a dirty laundry almost to your community. Right, and I had that, um, I had that fear and, um, oh yeah, it's still something that I'm like, you know what, I just need to get over it. But the thought of even getting a black Muslim woman, then I, in my head, I'm like, okay, but what level of haram are you? Like, are you, are you a bad <laughs> She's like, but can I tell her listen to music? Do you listen to music? <laughs> I'm like, yo, like, I'm if I I'm tell done. you I'm doing all of these bad babe stuff, like, what are you going to think of me? Are you, do you know my mother somehow? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, oh, yeah. White women, it's horrible. It's the ghetto. Sometimes can be a little bit safer. And I feel so bad, like, admitting that. <laughs> can I just say, yeah, that I had a, a white therapist and she was not horrible or the ghetto. So Liv, take that back. Thank you. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to white women everywhere. You know what? <laughs> so my first therapist, like her name is her name was Anne. Oh my God. This babe, like, she read me to filth. And a part of me was like, this is racist. However, you're making <laughs> however, I see what you're doing. But um, yeah, that woman, yeah, that woman saved me a little bit. I can't even lie. I have to give her her dues. Yeah. Do you know what's jokes about therapy, yeah? <laughs> you'll be in a session, you'll be like, stop fucking reading me. Why are you reading me? And they're like, oh yeah, that's why I came. You <laughs> leave therapy vexed with all on, like. <laughs> like, people don't talk about the aftermath because, like, mm. I'll go in therapy and I'll talk about something and I've had quite of these, like, eureka moments in therapy when something just comes up from nowhere that I've really, like, suppressed. And then this woman is like, okay, cool, our 50 minutes is up. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. Where are you going? (laughs) Honestly, that happened so many times. I've just been outside the office, like, waiting for my Uber to come. And I'm like, hold on a minute. So before we get into this even further, maybe we should tell everyone who you are. Aired all of your dirty laundry. (laughs) Um, Wait, sorry. Can you imagine? Yeah. Can you imagine meeting someone for the first time? um, And before they tell you their name, they're like, I had therapy today. (laughs) You mean what just happened a while ago? (laughs) (laughs) You really went there. We were like, okay, let's get comfortable. No, it works. it works. But yeah, maybe we should let people know who we're speaking to. Raifa, do you want to like introduce yourself now that everyone knows <laughs> how you feel about therapy? <laughs> yeah, um, sure. My name is Raifa. Um, I am a lawyer. I am, I'm also a um, multi award winning podcaster. That's a mouthful. I'm also a writer. So yeah. I think that that's 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 that covers it all really. And you write a lot about your personal life, right? This is not, I mean, talking about your experiences is not something that's unfamiliar to you. No, I mean I have I'm a contributing author to a book called It's Not About the Burka, where I talk about 
um, the complexities of being a black Muslim woman. Um, so that's been published for, I think, two years now. Um, and yeah, I'm very, on the podcast that I've previously had, mostly lit, my current podcast, This Thing Changed My Life, we get really personal. And um, I feel like if you listen to those, then you pretty much know 40% uh, of who I am. <laughs> a good chunk, a good chunk. Yeah. Um, so was re- religion something that was always kind of a main feature in your life? I mean, I, gr- I gather you grew up in a very conservative background. Yeah. Is it something you rebelled against and then embraced later on? Like, <laughs> I feel like I'm still rebelling a little bit. Um, but you know, I grew up in a really uh, strict conservative Muslim home um, in East London. And um, oh, because it was so strict, I think in the beginning, I really, I really conflated. And I feel like my community also really conflated and merged together culture with religion. And there are certain things I really was like, I can't believe this is a part of something that I should believe in if I just think it's a bit silly. Um, but obviously it's just like your parents being like, don't do this, or it's not just for me, but God said it, or you know, you're not allowed to. And just to give their whatever they want a bit of weight. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I think, oh, maybe so I, I definitely rebelled, but my rebellion wasn't wild. I still kind of like towed the lines a little bit, you know, until you reach university and do you feel like um because you are a journalist because like you have that interest to like ask questions and to find out more and to like you know shine a light on things that growing up in a strict religious household was like did it have an impact because like you said you asked questions and the answer was always like oh god knows god knows all god knows all like don't question it and do you feel like that pushed you even more in the direction you were going in absolutely I think I was that child that really never took what was told to them as gospel it was always like why 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 this why that um to the point where you know you'd have adults who no longer have an answer because obviously they've never questioned these beliefs that they were also taught um they're also dumbfounded and and dumbstruck they don't know how to respond and the only thing was to then tell you that oh you know you're you're not respectful, you know, you, you're not, you know, you don't have a strong faith and belief. And so it just never sat well with me. But I think education really, really helped me, not just Western education, but even just like learning about my religion and taking time to just read what is in the script rather than being told by some uncle or some other, you know, older person in the community. Um, And I think that has really allowed me to carve out my own uh, parameters of my belief. So um, I'm definitely, you know, Muslim, but there are certain things that I'm like, I'm not going to adhere to this because one, I definitely think that culture has really informed that decision. And that's why you think that's part of the religion. Um, And it's really hard actually, because it can be quite lonely, especially when you don't find people in the community who maybe think the way you do. And so you just really have to go out of your way to find um, young people or other individuals who also have that inquisitive mind, who just also just want to um, inspect and criticize and sorry, critique what they've been told. But I think that goes across for everything, not just like religion, you know, Um, I think it's just the way you choose to live your life, really. 
Yeah, I was going to say, because I feel like the same, the same can be said for Christianity, right? I, I grew up in a very conservative Christian household, which is interesting because my dad was a Methodist, but my mom's Hindu. And so she kind of almost erased her religion for the sake of my dad imposing this very like Christian conservative background or, you know, kind of lifestyle on us. But growing up, I think I found it increasingly difficult to adhere to certain aspects of Christianity, which were presented in a really conservative way, because I felt like I was this progressive, you know, woman who didn't believe in certain things. And Shan, I don't know, because Shan also is a currently practicing Christian. I don't know if you struggle with that now, Shan, in terms of like reconciling things that you believe in from a faith perspective and then principles on your day-to-day life. Yeah, I definitely think it's hard that uh, there's challenges, but I think um, the way to kind of, or in my experience, the way to kind of na- navigate that best is to make sure that my journey is really personal to me and God. Mm-hmm. And I think once you do that, then you have your own decision of what's right and wrong for you and you can feel content in that. If you have a parent or a friend saying, don't do this or do that, and then you do it and you're like, mm, all these isms and schisms about whether or not you should have done it. It's mm-hmm. because you were never sure about your decision because it wasn't actually you wanting to do that or not wanting to do that. It was someone else's pressure and beliefs like, kind of put on you. I feel like there's a stigma that Christians can't drink. And it's like, I've got to then take it upon myself to be like, who's told me this notion? Is this a real thing? Or have I just been told this growing up? And then I will then do the research for myself to come up with my own understanding about what that means for me. When it comes to religion... It's very subjective. So I can read a text and you can read a text and we can get two different examples from it. But it's only down to, you have to only stick to what you believe. Otherwise, you're never going to feel like you're living life for yourself. And then you're going to end up being depressed because you're going to feel like you're never hitting this bar or standard that everybody around you wants you to have. I, I started I really, there. Does that make sense? <laughs> that made sense. And I really agree. Cause like Facts, babe. Facts. Yeah, when I moved out and I moved out from home and it was like a wild thing because like no Muslim girl in my community has really ever moved out from home. I was the bad girl that has just gone awry. Bad girl. <laughs> it was it was bad. And so when I moved home and already I was like, oh my God, doom and gloom, like God doesn't love me. You know, what what is it inside me that doesn't want to adhere to these things that I've been told and because I looked at those things as like truth and I looked at other people's journey as what I should aspire to um and because I wasn't hitting that bar it just made me feel that I was a complete failure in this thing um and that just like took me over the edge I said therapy let's go because I'm not well (laughs) um but I, I definitely agree like just living your own truth and your own journey is really important um because otherwise you're just going to really struggle yeah do you find that you have to consistently defend your position not only to your community but to people who perceive you as a traditional muslim, black muslim woman as well um that's a really good question i what i am what i am like careful with is when i meet other muslim women um so i mean i cover for instance um, and I, I guess, look really conservative. Mm. Um, but I also have like a sailor's mouth and I'm always swearing <laughs> my eye. But I feel like I'm also very liberal. And so when I meet other Muslim women who 
you will look at me and think, oh, like she's very conservative. And then I'll just start talking wreck. <laughs> they might, they'll just be a bit pulled back. But I used to worry about it before, definitely when I was a little bit younger, two, three years ago. But nah, not in this 2021. <laughs> no, not anymore. Because, yeah. Well, it's funny because you, as you said, you kind of do present as a conservative woman, but on your IG, your serving looks all day, all day. I don't know if you guys have seen Raifa's uh, Instagram, but... No, share it with me so I can go and be nosy now. <laughs> you know what? Let me say something. All the madness happen on the, happens on the close friends. So y'all are actually missing out. Ooh, <laughs> Damn. We had the close friends. We missing out. You better add me. You better add me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I think there is that like discrepancy and I, I always ask, tell my friend like, I have a good friend of mine who's Muslim and um we always talk about the halal haram gap it's that okay when we meet a fellow Muslim person it's like okay let's let's sit down like where are you at on that on that scale um and also it's a very much no judging breakfast club you know you are who you are but I think that's interesting because I think a lot of people um well, I'd assume that a lot of people in different religions can also relate. And I think, again, that comes, I think, again, that sort of idea of, like, how um, haram are you, is that the phrase that you use? I think, again, that kind of comes from, like, because you know there's a stigma and there's a pressure for what it means to be a, a particular, like, be of a particular faith or religion. And yeah. the same way, like, with a Christian, it's like, even on this podcast, yeah, I think there was an episode where I said that I was a Christian. And I said on the podcast, that was the first time I'd, out, like, ever said it out loud because I know that people have so much judgment towards it. Because you might hear one episode of me talking about that, the one episode talking to me about how I like sucking dick. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, 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 can't, I, can't, I can't do all the judgment. Do you get what I mean? I mean, I've never actually said that before. to you. No, I've never actually said that on the podcast. I was using that as a figure of, like, an extreme, like, opposing. But it's you know true, what honey, I mean? like, but it's true. But it's true. <laughs> but, like, in the sex episode, I'm very vocal and I'm very open about things that I've enjoyed and I've done before. And it's, yeah. like, in my head, I'm like, oh, I, I don't want people to judge me. And da, 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 da. But that's why you've got to be really strong and secure on who you are. So it's, like, actually, I'm happy. Go ahead and judge. It's yeah. okay. Talk about me in your group chats. I'm okay with it. Because this is me. Do you get what I mean? Like, it's so important. Yeah, at university, there was a girl who I was friends with and she became, like, really uncomfortable with, um, I guess, just how liberal I was. Um, and we started off as really good friends and then she just kind of, like, you know, stopped talking to me. And I was just like, but why? Like, I just, till this day, it was like, oh, okay, I think she was, she just wasn't comfortable with, and I'm like, okay, that's fine. I'm I'm so cool with that. But also I can't, I'm never gonna like change myself to please you and make you feel better and make you feel more comfortable. Like you have to get with the train, like the program more. Bye. Get with the train, get with the program, get with the schedule, get with the get with all of it. Get with it all, honey. <laughs> yeah, honestly, at this big, big age to have friends or even like acquaintances, like whatever it might be that you know don't get you or have questions that you know, Google is there for, like, it's just so long. It's very, very long. So actually, just on that note, in terms of, because you talked a little bit about mixing culture or the mixing of culture and and religion. And I'm kind of wondering, uh, what are some of, like, the common misperceptions that you often have to um, deal with that, 
as a black Muslim woman, as opposed to a South Asian Muslim woman? Like, are there distinctions to be made or, or you know, do you feel a, a, a distinction between the two experiences as you understand it, particularly because there is this compounding of race that adds to yeah. your experience? Um, I think the line that, that it toes is definitely race, um, only because I wrote this in like my essay, the, especially like the South Asian community. I, when I came, I remember when I came, came to England, um, it almost felt like they had taken custody of Islam, especially the South Asian community and um, the Arabs. So you're coming in as a black woman, born Muslim from a Muslim community that is also black. And all of a sudden, these different communities who in the UK or in the West are like the, the face of Islam, all of a sudden they don't accept you. Mm. And, or they, you know, they'll ask if you're a Reva and you're like, bro, <laughs> no. Um, and so- What is that? What is that? Educate me. So um, Muslims believe that every person, every child is born a Muslim. Um, right. And so when you convert to Islam, you're actually reverting. Right. Um, because you were already born Muslim. So yeah, we call it revert. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, I would say it's just the race line that predominantly separates me anyway from other Muslim people. Um, and so I always get, oh man, like the ecstasy I get when I meet other like black Muslim women is... <laughs> I'm like, yo, hello, sis. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, it's definitely, I, I've actually gone a lot of my life not thinking that there wasn't a lot of us. Um, so I remember when I found like, one of my best friends uh, is um, a black Muslim woman and she's um, Nigerian. I was, I was like, yo, I was like, this is amazing. Take me to Lagos now. <laughs> Because <laughs> actually there is quite a large black Muslim population, right? I mean, um, massive yeah. one. So it's interesting that it, that you feel you felt that feeling of isolation. Yeah, I, I was not. I was going to ask you about that because I think, for, definitely from my experience of just meet, meeting and connecting with black people, I I can probably count one person I think that who I know that was a black Muslim woman. Really? Yeah, I don't. I, and it was even my friend. <laughs> Maybe because growing, well, not growing up, but during my time in New York, I met quite a lot of black Muslim men, but definitely a good number of black Muslim women as well. There's quite a lot in New York. I'm sorry, in, in the States and quite a few of them actually are Nation of Islam as well. Mm. So there's like a difference um, in that as well. But there is actually a lot. But, you know, in East London, when I, where I was growing up, there definitely wasn't. It's just a big Asian Muslim community. Did you say Nation of Islam? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. What does that mean? So that's... That's <laughs> like... <laughs> Did I know what that means? Yeah. So look, Malcolm X was Nation of Islam. Um, so Malcolm X was Nation of Islam. And they just believe in... A different version so it's definitely like catholicism and like protestants or just different oh it's like a denomination yes uh but oh, okay. very very different um so yeah um i guess well, you refer to it as much more militant and literal in many senses right 
I'm not sure, but I do know that like, it's so weird because their Islam really much goes against like the pillar of the the other Islams. <laughs> I don't know if that even makes sense. So yeah, um, it's, it's very, very different. And a lot of like black African-Americans are like Nation of Islam, but also they're also just Muslims as well, which is why I need to go to America. I don't know what I'm doing here. Okay, let's go find my husband. Oh, sorry. <laughs> He's out there waiting. He's just in the nation of Islam somewhere. <laughs> here, like you just be falling in love with somebody, then it's like, all right, bro. So, are you gonna revert? Like, what are we doing? Yeah, what's the dating scenario like when you are you open to dating people outside of your religion? How does that work? Oh, what's this? <laughs> It is hard out here. I can't even lie. Um, to be honest, it's been a, a point of like contentious vibe, like a lot of like intimate relationships I've had. Um, funny enough, I've actually never dated a Muslim man. Oh no, I have. I have. Yes, I have, but I just wasn't feeling the dude. So it's so mad. It's like, even if you do meet one out of, <laughs> you, you find, you fight your way, you finally meet that one and then they just don't turn out to be as, you know, lie as you'd want them to be. So, yeah, it's hard. What, what's more important for you when it comes to dating? Is it a man being black or a man being Muslim? Oh, I can't. There was, to be honest, you can. No. Do you know what it is? Yeah, <laughs> I can't lie. Like as as much as they are just the oh yeah, that's <laughs> my kryptonite. Like you give me a fine black man. <laughs> Amen. Can you all just snap to that? Yes. <laughs> yes. Fine black man who is self-aware, mm. like who just has That's yeah. chocolate. Oh, a uniform. <laughs> <laughs> the chocolate. Um actually Shannon, the same question for you applies. Would you prefer to date somebody? What's more important to you? <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you. They seem black. They're both, they're both, I think, yeah, it's jokes because when I said it to Raifa, I was like, no, you have to choose. But now the question's been put to me. I think they genuinely both are as equally important. However, the first example that came to my head that made me say black when you said it, on Christmas this year, it was just me and my boyfriend, yeah, and I didn't have to lift a finger. I didn't have to cook. Fuck all. Mm. And do you know what? The food tasted? Flavor. <laughs> Seasoned. <laughs> no. I can't with someone of a different ethnicity that I'm going to have that experience of flavor and seasoning. <laughs> that's my input. So yeah, I, don't, I don't cook either. I mean, I, me and domestic flavor, I'm trying, I'm really like, I'm trying to radicalize my life. Like I, <laughs> I can cook, but I just don't want to because we have suffered too much. So this is, this is me. Can you just I high five agree. me to the screen, please? High five me. I me. like I like my partner cooks like all the time. Me? Nah, I'll just be there watching girlfriends. Like, hey boo. This is me. Oh my god. <laughs> if I show you my Snapchat from Christmas, yeah, all I did was make cocktails. Not for him, just for me. <laughs> <laughs> nah, you were living your best life. Shan, stop it. You know what's funny is that I met a guy this past couple of months. I've been saying to myself, oh, I'm going to expand my parameters around dating. And yeah, if he's not like typically my type, I'm still going to go out there. And 
I was on holiday for New Year's Eve with my girlfriends and a really cool guy. I saw this guy out to the corner and he looked kind of tan. And then I was like, okay, so maybe he's like mixed or something like that. And then I found out he was from New York and he's like, yeah, I'm Italian. And I was like, okay, well. That's nice. I don't know. But like just the concept of me dating outside of my race or dating a white man is just, I don't know if it's something that I can get down with. I know this is so silly, yeah, but in my head, Italians aren't white. I know it's dumb. I know <laughs> it's dumb. I remember arguing with someone about it before. I think, Liz, wasn't you there I, I, in the office? Like, and, I don't yeah, know. But in my head, they're not white. They don't make, they don't make uh, fish and chips. If you're like a <laughs> white person and I date you, oh, you'd have to look like... You'd have to be so annoying. You'd have, you'd have to slow to... down. Like, you'd, you'd have, have to, to literally... <laughs> but also, but in my mind, I'd also that... just be thinking, like, are you fetishising me? Because this is it. Am I dating my colonizer? I don't know. Like, <laughs> Stop it. Did I get my last name from you? Yeah. <laughs> but it, but in that example, yeah, you saw him, you found him attractive. You even weren't convinced he was white, and then you found out. So, like, surely maybe you can give him a chance. I can find white men attractive, but when I drill down to it, is it something that I really, you know, like, I don't know. Like, I think about the fact that I want to have black kids and I think about the fact that I want culturally certain things to be at play. And yeah, it's just, I don't know if it's, if it's, I guess it's very similar to the concept of trying to decide whether you want to date outside your religion and how important it is to you. It's like a spectrum, right? I don't know. Lives, what do you think? Could you could you date could you date a man that wasn't Jamaican, Leanne? I have. No, I. (laughs) I have, but they have to be very culturally aware. Like the the last guy that I dated that was Ghanaian, actually, on our first date, quoted Vibes Cartel to me, and I was like, "Yeah, so love." Can we get him back? Can we get him back? Listen, Maifa, there's no bigger stan. The Leanne when it comes to Vibes Cartel. Today's his birthday, by the way. Big up Cartel. <laughs> she said big up the man in the jailhouse. I actually, I actually like dating is in our current world very political. And because I used to be very much like, you know what, love who you love. Um, you know, love is love. Everything is, you know, like open. That is how we break down the walls. And just doing a lot more reading and a lot more research, like it's especially because we live in a world where like there is no level playing field and the the politics and the outside world really does affect the, your domestic life. And I kind of like tapped, really tapped into that. And I it would I wouldn't feel a, a part of me would be like, yo, I'm letting something down. Yeah, same. I. If I didn't get with a black man, um, the so, thing is, I hear that, and and like I'm for the record, I am with a black man. That's my baby. That's my baby. But um, I shout out think, Josh, shout out Josh, shout out my man. <laughs> but I do think I do get what you're saying about how you know being dating, being a black woman and dating is usually political in some way or another. And sometimes I'm tired of like the black love stuff. Like don't. Yeah, I hope I don't get shot or cancelled for this, but like, <laughs> it's like, let us just be rather than it being a thing. Do you know what I mean? It's a hard thing to balance, but sometimes I see these adverts and I feel like it's hella cheesy. Like, it's like, oh, black love is like better than any other love. <laughs> it's, like, it's very like, 
But I guess it's again. Like, Liv, can I just say, Liv, you're very lucky you did that like, disclaimer. They're gonna come for your neck. Yes, I was gonna say it's like black love can only be like better than any other love, like if it's healthy. If yeah, it's, yeah, you know, like, for the sake of black love. Exactly, because t- black love can be trash. Okay, that's toxic. Toxic as hell, right? You have oppression outside, and now I'm oppressed inside my own house by my own man. No. Well, it's the oppressed oppressor syndrome, right? Like black men who are consistently oppressed by the status quo and institutionalized racism yeah. oftentimes take their uh, like aggression or their their trauma out on the closest thing to them, and that is the black woman. And in and in same and in the same vein. I work with black victim survive black women victim survivors all the time and they will actively say sometimes I'm so angry and so frustrated I take it out on the first person that's in my space which is their children. Mm-hmm. Um and so that cycle of trauma sometimes can be very toxic and very you know impactful and and traumatic for the people around us. So I definitely get what what Lives is saying and what you're saying Rafa as well but I don't know there's some about that black man. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Guys, mm. no, <I'm> <laughs> transitioning out of our our black men obsession. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you talk about a lot about microaggressions in the workplace, and obviously, I assume you probably work in a white-dominated space. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. So, um, I'm a lawyer, and oof, I mean, in my old firm. Oof. What kind yeah. of money do you practice, actually, just out of curiosity? Hedge funds. Okay. Yeah. So I'm a hedge funds lawyer. And um, I was actually talking about this today with one of my friends. It's just, you know, I think so many of us go through microaggressions and we just have to find ways to navigate it. But I'm even at a point where I'm like, I might need a bit of help because this shit is overwhelming. Mm. Um, especially now that like obviously we're all so many of us are working from home how do you make how are you how can you become visible so it's it's even more like it's even worse because you're now even more invisible because they can't even see you and are you are you going to get the work that you should be getting etc um but yeah I think tackling microaggressions even if it's just like bringing in more black people in the workplace a lot of people talk about that and just getting more people in. As much as that helps, higher up the pipeline, there's nobody. Mm-hmm. And when you're thinking about managing work, um, the culture at the top determines the culture at the bottom. And so if there isn't black people up the ladder, black people with power, not just like that one person that is there to fill the quota, how, how can you get rid of that culture? Um, so it is very difficult, especially for like so many young millennial working, like profession, working professionals in like the city or, or elsewhere. I don't know how it is in the creative space because um, I don't work in the creative space. And I, well, I do, but like for myself, not not in like a creative organization. Mm. So I don't know, do, do you guys, does do any of you work in the creative space? Is it much different? Lives and Shan both work in the creative industry. Yeah, I would say it's a similar thing for sure, where a lot of companies will hire black people 
at a low level because yeah. like you know we bring like culture and we bring create creativity and like we bring those diversity numbers like <laughs> but um you know as you said like when you go higher up the the food chain you know you'll be surprised how many companies despite the fact that they use like slay or whatever or like fleek on their campaign you know you'll be surprised the 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 higher you got the food chain they're all white they're all men they're all middle class and it's just yeah not yeah it's definitely a problem for yeah. sure you know you, as we spoke about at the top of this episode you are one of the co-hosts of mostly lit which is hugely successful podcast it's doing really well and um yeah i wanted to ask how that came together and why like let's talk about diversity and literature for a bit where your love for that comes from Oh, um, I mean, I've always loved reading. I, I think for me, reading, I always say that reading makes people think better. It makes people think more critically. It gives people an insight into other people's world and lives. Reading builds compassion. It builds um, connection between different people from all walks of life. And so if you can have that tool, like why would you not want to utilize it? Um, I also think it makes you smarter. <laughs> Um, and so I've always loved reading mainly because I've just always loved storytelling and as much as I like call myself a writer I just more so would say I'm a storyteller um, I remember when I was younger my first memories was of my grandmother telling me like stories and fairy tales but in like the oral form back home in Zanzibar and so I've always had that like love for literature and storytelling when I came to England I didn't know any English and um, I remember I was given this book to read and it was very very hard and difficult and I remember the first day where I managed to like finish it and move on to like the next tier and till this day that remains like one of like my biggest achievements <laughs> it's like my favorite memory ever um you know just I felt triggered when you said tier I was like no about tears. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, so triggered. <laughs> yeah, and so that's really important to me. But in terms of like representation, I actually didn't see myself represented in a book until like oh, I think I was maybe just starting sixth form, and I read a book that had a Muslim girl in it. She wasn't even black; she was just a Muslim girl, and um it really changed my life because I finally felt like, oh, like this issue that I had, somebody else had it. And obviously like now I'm older, it's like not that big a deal, but at that age, it meant everything to mm. me. Um, and then just seeing, there was another book that I read when I was pretty, I don't know, did I read this? Oh, I think I read this at university. It talks about a young, it talks about the diaspora young black woman. So it's called Nervous Conditions by Titsi Dangaremga. And um, it talks about a young girl who grew up in um, London and she moved back to uh, the continent and just her struggle with not fitting in there and coming back and also not fitting in here. And I kind of had that issue sometimes, I still like trying to navigate it because I go back home at least once a year. And when I go there, it's like, as much as you speak Swahili, you're not really one of us, Raifa. And I'm like, but I, are, you, are you guys okay? Um, you know, and when I come here, it's like, oh, but like, I miss that Zanzibari part of me. Mm -hmm. So that book 
like drastically changed my world because again, it was that connection that I felt knowing that you're not alone, building connections with people. And so genuinely, I, I met one of the co-hosts of Mostly Lit called Alex um, via like a dinner that one of our other, like mutual friends just like posted on Twitter. This was like 2015. Um, one of our mutual friends who we didn't really know each other. He was like, oh, like, I'd love to like have dinner with these people from the timeline. And he made a group and I was like, yeah, sure, I'll come. And um, I met Alex there and we just got to know each other. And then one day we made a joke all about, I think it was like Shakespeare online. He entered my DMs and he was like, oh, like, do you want to like start a podcast? Didn't know what a podcast was. This was 2015. <laughs> I was like, what's a podcast? And he was like, oh, you know, it's like radio, but like not live, it's like audio. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. I actually didn't think it would happen because you know, I know black people, they'll just always be saying, let's do something. And then, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, like two days later, he was like, oh, like, do you want to meet up with this like company? You know, uh, they like would love the idea. And we started talking about the, the name and stuff. And genuinely, that's how it came about. It was so, and I love it because obviously like this was like the beginning of podcasts. Podcasts weren't really a thing. It was really like earlier on, it was much bigger in the States at this time. And so it was just so um, new. And like, I love that. My favorite artistic space and environment is that like rugged place where you haven't made it, but you have this exciting content that you wanna make and you're like underground. And that for me is like the perfect artistic place of like expression and content creation because you're really just doing it for the heart and the love for it. And you're uninhibited as well. It's like you can do anything. Like when I started my new podcast, I had all of these worries because obviously I know the game. I know how it's like. Um, I'm not thinking, I just want to create something great. I'm like, oh God, I hope the audio content is great. You know, I hope, you know, I can work with these people. I hope I can get this guest, but in the beginning of most of it, it was very much like, let's talk about this book. We love this book. Let's talk about it. And so um, that's just how it started. It went on for like, we stopped recording, I think last year. Um, that's a long time. It's like five years. Yeah, four, I would say four, four years. Was it last? I think it was maybe like the year before last end of, I think 2018. But um, yeah, maybe we'll, we'll, maybe we'll come back. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> It might not be Alex, actually. I love his book recommendations on his Instagram as well. What's your favorite book? Or do you have like key recommendations that everybody, like books, uh, five books that everybody has to read? Five books that everybody has to read. Okay, I'm literally looking at my bookshelf. First book, um, A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara. It is, I read it last year I think and this book I don't even have words it's a bit thick but it is the book that I think I have never cried as much (laughs) and also if you're gonna read it you need a support system because Alex is the one that recommended it to me my uh podcast fellow podcaster and he was like you need to read this book and I was like but he was like you need to be in the, the good mental state to read this book because it's really triggering but it as much as it's very painful, it, it really shows love in a way that is so naked and open. Um, and it also 
it doesn't really focus on romance. It's very much about friendship and the bonds that you have with your friends and how strong those bonds can be. Mm. Um, it can be a little bit traumatic because it has things like um, self-harm. It has things like suicide and um, like sexual trauma and abuse. But I also tell people there's also like friendship and love and family. And um, Hanya is really great at uh, creating a world. So when you're reading this book, you're really like entering a whole world. Um, so yeah, I would say A Little Life. Next book I would say is The Eyes Were Watching God. Oh, such a good book. Like, Laura so, is one of my favorite writers of all time. She's amazing. I remember reading that book and at the end of it, my, my, I was just tingling. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Um, I would also say Nervous Conditions. So I mentioned that by Titsi Dangaremga. Um, that's three. You know what? I really liked um, Girl, Woman, Other by Bernadine Evaristo. Mm -hmm. I think for a Black British woman, that book is phenomenal, um, especially reading it now. Um, it's very like timely. So definitely read that. And I was like, this is a beautiful piece of work and gosh, she can write. Okay, last one. Okay, I've got it. I also read this quite recently. <laughs> An American Marriage. Um, oh, what's her name again? The book is called An American Marriage. <laughs> Um, that book is like drama, like it's drama. It's just so much drama, but also really well written um, and just beautiful as well. And it really just talks about how it's about how like being an incarcerated black man who's been in prison, how that can like affect your domestic life, how it can affect your your uh, your relationship with your wife um, and family, and just the impact of structural racism on the domestic home. So I would yeah I would say that. I think that's fine. <laughs> what is your advice for, you know, how to just like get side reading, how to just get into it? People that like may or may not be talking about myself right now, but just find it hard just to even like start that first page. Like I know it sounds stupid, but like I've become so consumed by screens that like to sit down and read a book, it actually can be quite difficult, but it's something I definitely want to get into in lockdown. Olivia, so like, this is honestly you're not the, you're not the only person because this was my struggle. Like mm -hmm. last year, I put on my to do list to read six books for the year. I thought six is small. <laughs> <laughs> I have How not completed the book. I didn't complete it. I think it's the same book I had from the book the year before. Like I don't know what <laughs> I can start them, but I can't complete them. Mm. Do you get it? Oh, and I, like, I just I, I stop thought, and then I never go back. Yeah, and, and, and part of me is like, I can't start another book until I finish the last one. Yeah, so I'm constantly yeah. fighting myself. Then I'm like, but I haven't got a book. But then I wasn't so even where was that I? clearly. Like, <laughs> so, so when you're answering this question, Raifa, it's not just for me and Liv. I'm sure there's more people that need to know. <laughs> to be honest, I'm like also reading myself to filth because I mean, last year was a really, really tough year. Um, and so I actually didn't manage to read a lot of books. I dealt with like a lot of like grief last year, people passing away, just COVID. And I was also like talking to myself and being like, oh my God, like, I'm such a loser. How can I have not read the amount of books that I set out for myself? But I also just like compassion, you know, I actually do compassion therapy and um, um, just being like calm with yourself because if you make it in your head, like this is something that you have to do, you're just not going to do it. And if you put a lot of guilt towards that connection with reading, 
that you're just not going to do it because you're not going into it like, oh, I'm really interested. You're going into it like I have to finish this book. Um, and it's just for me, it's the same with like how I look at like the gym, for instance. Like if I'm like, I need to exercise because I'm going to get fat, then I'm just not really going to do it because I've already associated it with something negative. Um, and so what I try to do like today, actually, I, it was the first day I picked up a book in the new year. And um, I would say a page a day, like make it so small, even if it's like half a page, like lower your expectations um, and then just find the energy to do it. Because if I say I'm going to read half the book today, I'm not even going to pick it up because just that, that expectancy is just so much. But literally- Half a book in a day. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even do that in a month. What kind of brain power? Your eyes are like, this is all- you know what? I sent this. I sent this list of books to Shan maybe like a few weeks ago. No, it was months ago, right? It was late last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are these like penguin books that are literally this thin. Oh yeah, I've got them. Yeah, yeah. Like with Martin Luther King Jr. There's one by Vladimir Vladimir Nabokov. There's uh, Chinua Chebe. There's loads of like epic writers who have written. They've gotten selected. Um, kind of excerpts from their speeches or just random pieces that they wrote and those are so small and they're so interesting that you can it feels more manageable because they're shorter but they're still really informative books that will you're making me feel guilty no i'm not i'm gonna go back to that list no because i i actually asked leanne i actually came to leanne as a friend and i was like leanne i want to learn more about what did i say like black history or something yeah, I think you wanted more of the historical context for some of the things that we talk about now. Yeah, and then she, I was like, can I have a list of some books, please? <laughs> she, she, I started the message, in all fairness, so I need to order it. Yeah. But like, oh, yeah, don't associate guilt with it. Yeah. Like, it makes it so hard. Like, this morning, I sat down with my coffee and I went, oh, I looked at my shelf and I said, oh, which one do I want to read today? And I tried to make it so fun for myself. Um, and it the first like page was like a little bit difficult because like my brain just wasn't really settled and then like just get into that flow and it's like running like I've taken up running I know I don't even know who I am anymore but like the thought of running like six months ago disgusting like I'm not a runner and I started doing like this program of like just running for like one minute and then stopping I managed to do 5k like I can run 5k now which is crazy. Like, I'm like, how? I don't even know. But come once- on, goals, 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 goals. But, but once I get in the flow of running, I just forget it. Like when I'm running, I'm just like, oh my god, I'm even forgetting that I'm like doing something. Oh, wow. And I had this moment when I was reading this morning where I was so interested in something that just time went, and I was just reading. And that is the sweet spot when you hit that. Yeah. Do you think there's the best time to start? Like, to both Leanne and Raifa. Sorry, not you, Livs, because you're like me. <laughs> <laughs> but is, the, okay. is, is it better to, like... So, like, when I was younger, as a child, I was, like, a bookworm. Like, my mum could not take me away from reading. Like, but I used to always read before I went to bed. Mm. So, like, that was my routine. So, like, for you guys, do you have a set time where you think you focus better or, um, or that you're able to keep up a routine when it comes to reading? I can't read before bed because I'm the type of person that if I hit my bed, I'm sleeping. Like, there, is, <laughs> there is no way. I've tried that and generally it doesn't work for me. I prefer reading the first thing in the morning because like I'm just in my bed. Normally like I'd be on my phone. So I'm like, oh, let me have my, my, my book. I do. In bed and I'm up and I'm awake. And instead of like going on my phone, I'm like, let me just read a page. 
literally I tell myself let me read a page and before you know it I've read like five pages um do you know what's funny I used to read when I was in England I used to read on the train and actually the commute was such a good time to read because you want to like zone out all of the shit that's going on around you and you can get as you said right so you can get lost but now that I'm here and I drive everywhere before bed is actually probably the only time I get to read now but I keep falling asleep. So actually one of the tricks that I've tried to use is I'm now rereading one of my favorite books. So my favorite book that I read last year is this book called Heavy by Kiese Lehman. If you guys haven't read it, I would suggest reading. It's amazing. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to try. So that's been good because it's something I already know that I love. And so I look forward to reading the story and getting a different perspective on it. But I'm going to try reading in the morning, actually, because I do keep falling asleep yeah um I used to read on the commute that was literally when I would read um when I was at uni because I studied English literature it, um I hated like being in the library too much so what I would do is I was on like the Victoria line and I would start from like Walthamstow Central go down all the way to Brixton and then get on a train back and I'll just read mm. that was how I got through the books yeah the just commute like, is probably the best way for yeah we don't have that anymore <laughs> Oh yeah, oh yeah. We're just stuck inside, so that's why it's pretty difficult. Um, but yeah, no, like, cut yourself some slack. Like, you know, I was, I even asked yesterday on Twitter, like, just asked, like, oh, you know, what's like everybody's reading goals this year? And people were like, two hundred books, one hundred and fifty, a hundred, and then other people were like, oh, I was only planning to books. Yeah, yeah he's trying to read a hundred books in a year. That's, that's my goal this year. A oh hundred <laughs> books. <laughs> I'm out here like a hundred pages if I can. <laughs> are, are, you saying, are you better? What? Excuse me. I'm, I'm saying a hundred, but I'll probably only be able to do like sixty. No, yeah. stop. Let's even let's focus on the sixty. Excuse me. <laughs> but my thing is, it has to be like a habit, like a a, a daily habit. Yeah. Like a daily thing. You like, if I skip a day or skip two days, chances are I'm gonna stop reading. Just like for me, like the gym. If I don't go for a week. That's three months. I'm not here. <laughs> Mate, I stopped going for a week. Then it hit two weeks. Then the whole of 2020 miles on a bit of write-off. <laughs> I put on so much weight. Yeah, let me say how much weight I put on. I put on so much weight that my boyfriend bought me an Apple Watch for Christmas because of the fitness setting. And then he said, <laughs> then he said, I'll give you 300 pounds if you lose X amount of weight in four weeks. This is this is a, this is a crisis, okay? I've gained, I've gained, I was like 50, no, 62 or 63. And like, I'm literally like just under like 70. And I asked for an Apple Watch for the holidays and I got it. And completing these rings is hard. <laughs> no, it's a myth. It was like day two of having the watch. He's like, have you completed the rings? So can you chill out? I'm sitting to my Christmas dinner. My worst is when it tells you to stand up. They'll be like, stand up for a minute. And I'm like, yo. What? <laughs> yeah, like, so there's like a ring. It'll tell you, it kind of goes workout, movement, and like standing. So if you're standing for too long, the, the, the watch will buzz for you to stand up. So I'll just be randomly talking to somebody and I'll just be like, oh, sorry, guys, I have to stand up. The watch is- Are you mad? <laughs> I will scream at the watch. I'll be like, who are you telling to stand up? Like, I'm in bed. <laughs> Why are you trying to bad time? Like, wait, standing up, honey. <laughs> For anyone who's young and might be listening or supporting someone who is black and Muslim and they have challenges with understanding their identity. Um, I would say break all the rules and 
then get to know yourself. So, I mean, break all the rules that you think you can break and maybe you want to break and then get to know yourself from there. So I, yeah, I mean, that's how I've dealt with it. It's very much like, there was a lot of things I didn't understand. So I said, all right, let's destroy it all. And then start from the beginning. Um, start building your blocks of your own values and your own beliefs and understanding. Um, boundaries, like have boundaries with your friends, have boundaries with your parents. And that, that is like very, very difficult, but those people need to know what's up. Mm. Um, so yeah, I would say, I would say break all the rules. Don't listen to men. <laughs> and um, enjoy yourself. Like I'm literally the advocate and the minister of enjoyment because I feel like that's what I should be doing with my life. Um, Amen. Genuinely like find joy in like wake up every day and have like moments of joy because especially in the times that we're living in there's just so much you know heartache and sadness that sometimes you're just questioning like what am I doing so make your joy very um, conscious and very like specific I would say so thanks so much for listening guys don't forget to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from on facebook and twitter we are dope black woman and on instagram we're dope black woman one so we will be back with you next week until then stay blessed and unapologetically black all the way black black me black black tastic hey. Hey. Hey.